it seems fitting that today is the winter solstice, and if you're not familiar with winter solstice, it is the, uh, tonight will be the longest night of the year, um, the longest period of darkness. Um, the hope that we have tomorrow is that it's going to be a little brighter and a little brighter and a little brighter, and that is the glory of this Advent season, that in our darkness, a light has come. My wife Candace and I celebrated our 10th anniversary a few days ago. Um, we went to Winter Lights at the Newfields, if you all haven't been. Um, it's really amazing. They've got a beautiful property there, and they've decked it all out with uh, amazing lights and, and decorations. And uh, we were just walking through the, the decorations, and it became apparent that there was uh, a specific piece of the light display that they wanted to feature, and it was a... Uh, on the front lawn of the Lily House, a big, beautiful, uh, sloped yard with a light display that was synchronized to music. So Candace and I were doing what you ought to do there and just kind of standing and watching this pulsating light show happen. And I was struck by something at the far end of the property. There was a just a white light with small white lights cascading down below it way back in the back of the property, behind all the dazzling, flashing, pulsating lights. And it just mesmerized me, and I could not help but think about Advent and think about what the shepherds might have seen that night in the field when Jesus was born and the angels came down in glory. And I just thought, man, what a beautiful picture of Advent that, um, you know, this flashing light show of life in front of us, um, the storms of life raging around us, and in the distance, in the in the pinnacle of our focal point of our vision is the light of Christ that has come down into our darkness. I love Advent. If you know me very well, you'll know that this is my favorite time of year, and I really treasure it, and I look forward to it, and I'm, I'm really careful to protect listening to any of my Christmas music uh, before this time of year. I love Advent because I love Jesus, and Advent is all about Jesus. Every devotional, every good song, I love the anticipation. For Narnia fans, I love the thaw that comes with the announcement of our newborn king. I love the manger, the feeding trough, the condescension, God coming down to us. I love the angel choirs and the candlelight. It's a season where the volume in the world is turned way down and the glow of Christ really shines through like the star at the back of the property at the winter light. I love the fullness of the message of Advent. It's Old Testament, it's New Testament, it's law, it's grace, it's already and not yet. It's Genesis and Revelation. I love the glory of Advent. It's weighty when everything else is flimsy cardboard and wrapping paper. It's heavy and solid and substantive. It's rich and full. I love the sharing. I love the together worship. I love the announcement, the proclamation, the good news of great joy. I love King Jesus on his manger throne. I love the paradox, the going down to be lifted up. We've spent this Advent season together reflecting on God's singular mission to reveal his glory, to fill the earth with his glory. And what that means for us as we press in as a church uh, to fulfill the call to go and make disciples of all nations. 
And this morning, I want to throw a little gas on that fire, looking at the joy of Advent as the fuel for global missions. Every, every book in Scripture, every chapter, every verse, every word is alive with this mission of God. We could literally pick any text uh, out of the Bible and, and talk about and see the glory of God as he's, um, as he's filling the earth with his glory. And Nate actually started off our Advent series uh, from a passage in Isaiah 6. Isaiah, in a dark period in Israel's history, is caught up in a vision of God, and he sees God high and lifted up on the throne in heaven. And he's just overwhelmed. He falls to his face, and Nate commented, that's, you see that response all through Scripture. When people come face-to-face with the glory of God, the only response is to fall down. You don't get much of a description of God. You get a description of the floor or of your feet or the things around you. And Isaiah looks around him, and he sees the robe of God filling the temple. Nate talked about God's glory being a weightiness, that the earth is heavy with God's presence and with God's glory. And he talked about glory being God's holiness or his otherness revealed to us. So when we see God's holiness on display, we see his glory. God is filling the earth with his glory, and specifically he does that through his son, Jesus. Who was it that Isaiah saw seated on the throne in his vision of God. It was Jesus, right? Jesus sits on the throne. Isaiah saw Jesus, and he was overcome. Hebrews 1, verse 3 says, he, meaning Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is the radiance of God. He is is the aspect of God's glory that we can see and that we can feel. We can see the light of God's glory in Jesus. We can feel the warmth of God's glory. He's the radiance. So God is filling the earth with his glory, and it looks like Jesus. Every word of scripture serves this purpose, and in our passage from Luke 2 this morning, we see that very word become flesh. Uh, Nate alluded to this earlier, and I, I wanted to go to this passage at the end of Luke uh, when Jesus is resurrected and he shows up to his disciples. And he said, why are you, why are you afraid? Why are you filled with doubt? Uh, don't you see my hands and my feet? And just this, this idea that God in Jesus has taken on flesh so that we could see him and touch him and hold him in our arms and be close to him. So read with me, Luke. Uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you for this word. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to radiate your glory in a way that we could feel and touch and hold and draw near to. God, we thank you that you've chosen to reveal your glory to us and that you've done it in a way that is not just high and lifted up and exalted and other, but that you've done it in a way that's tender and that draws near and draws us into that glory. God, we ask now that you would help us to see your glory as it's revealed in these words of Scripture. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So God is, God is filling the earth with his glory, and he does that through his son, Jesus. And I wanted to look at a, just a couple of questions that I had as I was uh, reading through this and preparing this morning about the way that he chose to do this. So the first question, why this stage? If Jesus is the Messiah, the, the promised one, the Savior, the King that Israel had been waiting for for generations, why Bethlehem? <coughs> Why not a throne, an actual throne? And why not glory? God chose Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecies that uh, we see in the Old Testament prophets hundreds of years before Jesus is born. And he does this because God wants his people to, to trust him, to believe him, to see that he has a plan and that he's working in accordance to that plan. And his plan is to fill the earth with his glory. He confirms this over and over by revealing this desire that he has in scripture and then fulfilling it. So if you were, uh, as is made clear by the beginning part of our service, uh, I know many of us are in a dark night. And if it's hard for you right now to see what God is doing and to understand the ways in which God is working in your life, cling to the truth that God's purpose has not changed. It may be hard for us to understand the way that he's moving in our lives or working in our lives, but we can know that God is working to fill the earth with his glory in his son, Jesus Christ, and that every trial that we go through as he's doing that produces in us, God's word says, an eternal weight of glory. You see the weight, the heaviness. So as, as God leads us through these trials, as he's revealing his glory to us, it's producing in us an eternal weight of glory. 
if it's hard for you to understand why your job search is taking as long as it is, or why the loneliness that you've been walking through for months or years is so deep and so cold, if you're wondering why you got that diagnosis, or why your newborn is on a vent, know that God's purpose has not changed. He is working all things for our good in his glory. So God, God chose to send his son to Bethlehem to fulfill his word, to show us that we can believe that God is working in accordance with his purpose. And he chose an interesting way to get Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. There are about a million other ways that God could have gotten Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. He could have used something more personal and private, like a family emergency or, uh, or an errand or a holiday or any, any other reason for them to be in, in, uh, in Bethlehem at this time. But God chose to work through the ruler of the time uh, and have him call a census for all of God's people that were spread out to go back to their hometown to be counted for this census. And in this, we see, we see the, uh, the connection between God, the work that God's doing to reveal his glory and his purpose uh, for doing this work for the good of, of all kinds of people. So he's, he's gathering people in through this census to then scatter them back out. They, they all come and see, they come and see Jesus, uh, and then they go back to the places where they're from and take that good news of great joy with them. So the second question I had, that, the first question is, why, why the stage? Why did God choose to send his son uh, to be born in Bethlehem? The next question is, why, why the audience that he chose? Why Mary and Joseph? Why shepherds? Why Gentile wise men from the east? And I wanted to show uh, this kind of expanding circle of revelation here. So he starts with a family unit, Mary and Joseph. Joseph is from the line of David. Again, God confirming that he's fulfilling his scripture, that he's revealed his will to us, and he's fulfilling it in what he's doing. He starts with this one family unit, God's people. And then he expands outward a bit and reveals himself, announces his coming to shepherds. Now, shepherds were, uh, I mean, it's, it's a dirty job, right? And so they were traditionally considered ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. They... Uh, often did not participate much in temple life because of their jobs. So God starts with a family unit and says, I'm going to reveal myself to this family unit that's in line with my scripture, and then I'm going to reveal myself to my people, specifically the folks on the edge. And then in Matthew's account, uh, we see the wise men from the east. Now, these would have been Gentiles, meaning not Jews, not God's people, uh, come from the east to see God's glory revealed in Jesus. And they fall on their face in worship. Not only that, but their gifts, uh, their gifts actually prophesy and, and continue to confirm that God is working in accordance with his, with his word. They bring gold. A king is born today. Incense, God is with us. In myrrh, his death will make a way. And by his blood, he'll win us. Again, God confirming his purpose to us. He wants us to believe and to trust that he has a plan, that he's working in accordance with it. It's for his good, for his glory, and for our good. So this is, this is 
God filling the earth with his glory sort of in the, in the horizontal, right? The invitation to come and see and the, the call to go and tell. But if God is filling the earth with his glory, there's got to be a vertical element too, right? And that leads to the last point or question, which is why the manger? So the manger, um, as often depicted, a nice wooden prop that baby Jesus is set upon, um, not a very good depiction of what a manger actually was. A manger was a feeding trough, and in houses, especially in poor people's houses in this day, uh, it was not uncommon to have a single-room house. In part of your single-room house, you would have a lower layer where the animals stayed in the same room on a lower layer, and there would have been a feeding trough built in to that layer. And this is, this is the manger that King Jesus was, was laid in at his birth. So we see God filling the earth with his glory, starting in Isaiah 6, the highest point you could possibly get, seated high on the throne in heaven, all the way down to the manger, even down below in the, the poorest people's homes, down at the bottom in the feeding trough. So God is filling the earth with his glory from top to bottom. He's filling the earth with his glory outwardly by revealing himself to his people. And then lastly, the manger points forward to an even deeper glory. In Luke chapter 23, after Jesus has been crucified in our place for our sin, we see a man named Joseph of Arimathea, and he comes and he takes the body of Jesus down off the cross, and he wraps it in linen cloth, and he lays it in a stone tomb. Baby Jesus being wrapped in swaddling cloths and laid in the stone manger points forward to the deeper glory of God in the tomb. God is filling the earth with his glory through his son Jesus from the heights of heaven all the way down to the manger and then all the way down to the tomb. He wants a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to see his glory. And so he came down and he took on flesh so that it could be broken for us to make a way for us to come out of the darkness and into his light. I had a lot of uh, I had a lot of lyrics from my some of my favorite Christmas songs I wanted to share this morning. Decided not to do that, but uh, I did leave one in there that I I wanted to leave you with this morning. This is uh, this is a line from Oh Holy Night. It's kind of in the middle of the verse, so if you're trying to follow along with the melody, uh, you're kind of like halfway through. The King of Kings lay thus in lowly manger. In all our trials, born to be our friend. He knows our need to our weakness is no stranger. Behold your king, before him lowly bend. Christ is the Lord, then ever, ever praise we. His power and glory evermore proclaim. So God is filling the earth with his glory. He's doing that through his son, Jesus He's the king of kings. He didn't come in glory. He came in a manger. He took on flesh so that he would know our weakness, so that he could empathize with us in our trials and be near to us. It is his tender mercy that Jesus came as a baby. So the call this morning is just to receive your king. Receive his help. Receive his healing. Receive his holiness and his happiness. Receive his tender mercy 
and then proclaim his power and glory until he comes. Every Sunday we do that through taking communion. Again, Jesus took on flesh so that it could be broken to us. And every Sunday we remind ourselves of that glorious truth that God took on flesh to be broken for us, to make a way for us out of the darkness and into his light. So if you are a believer, I'd invite you to participate in this meal with us as we remember and proclaim Jesus' death until he comes. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. God, you are holy. You are separate. You are other. And in your mercy, God, you've chosen to reveal yourself to us, to make yourself known to your people. God, and you've not done that in a way that that excludes us. But through your son, born in lowly manger, in flesh that we could feel and touch and be close to, You've revealed your glory to us. God, and we thank you for that. We thank you for your son, Jesus, that you sent him to us to be with us, to take on flesh, that it might be broken on our behalf so that we could be brought back into fellowship with you and be transformed from glory to glory until you return. God, I pray that you would help us in this longest night as a church family to hold fast to the truth that you are working according to your purpose and your purpose has not changed, that you will make your glory known. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.